Welcome to Musicians vs. the World. I love it when listeners reach out and connect with me. Sometimes they just want to say hi, and sometimes they ask me questions, and other times they suggest an episode topic that they would like to hear. Now, one question that has come up multiple times from different listeners, especially after my Musicians in the Film World interview, is how do I find and choose music to put in my podcast episodes or in other projects that I'm working on? I have found that the process is pretty much the same for my podcast as it is for commercials or short films or really any other project that needs music. It's all about storytelling and world building. And the goal that you have when you're choosing music is that your audience becomes immersed in your message, whatever it is, through multiple senses. So I think the easiest way to go about answering this question and showing you how to do this is to just give you an example and walk you through it. And since my podcast is a sound-only medium, I can't really use visual imagery to help advance any story I want to share. And I can't share a video with you and then show you how to score it. So I'm going to take a scene, a quote-unquote scene from a novel, and then explain to you the process of how I would choose music to score under that for an audio-only medium. For today's episode, I'm just going to choose music that already exists just for the ease of the process. The thought process is somewhat similar when I compose music for a project as when I choose music that's already been written. Um, I still think about all of these principles that we're going to talk about today, but instead of choosing music, I would just compose it instead. So this tutorial is a good foundation for composing as well. The scene I've chosen is from Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. I chose that in particular because, well, one, it's in the public domain and so I don't have to worry about copyrights. And two, it has some really fun historical context that we can use to talk about music selection and, and world building. So before we start with the music, I want you to hear the scene with no music underneath it. A little context, in this scene, the main character is a little boy, and he's been called to a large rundown mansion to meet the lady of the house. So here we go. In an armchair, with an elbow resting on the table and her head leaning on that hand, sat the strangest lady I have ever seen, or shall ever see. She was dressed in rich materials, satins and lace and silks, all of white. Her shoes were white, and she had a long white veil dependent from her hair, and she had bridal flowers in her hair, but her hair was white. But I saw that everything within my view which ought to be white had been white long ago, and had lost its luster and was faded and yellow. I saw that the bride within the bridal dress had withered like the dress and like the flowers, and had no brightness left but the brightness of her sunken eyes." I saw that the dress had been put upon the rounded figure of a young woman, and that the figure upon it which now hung loose had shrunk to skin and bone. Once I had been taken to see some ghastly waxwork at the fair, representing I know not what impossible personage lying in state. Once I had been taken to one of our old marsh churches to see a skeleton in the ashes of a rich dress that had been dug out of a vault under the church pavement. Now... Waxwork and skeletons seemed to have dark eyes that moved and looked at me. I should have cried out if I could. Great, so we have our scene. A little boy is sent to a strange, huge house and has to go meet a scary old lady who has not changed out of her wedding dress in over a decade. So, how do we go about choosing music for this? 
Well, the first thing we want to know is how are we going to approach this entire story, music-wise? Are we going to go for world building where we want to be as historically accurate as possible? Or are we just going to go straight for emotional impact with a more modern, somewhat stylized music? And honestly, that's the way a lot of films go. But with this being a reading of an actual book, I think we can probably go for more world building and base our music on the music that was popular at the time. And for the sake of this exercise, since this is more of a tutorial about how my mind works when I approach a project, and because it's just fun, we'll actually take this scene from both angles so that you can see the difference in approaches. So first, let's start with the more modern-ish mood music, because that will help lay the foundation for the basics of what it is that we should be looking for in music as we score a project. So obviously, first off, what is the mood? What is the mood that we're going for? Do we want to play up how scared Little Pip is? Or are we going to go for more strangeness and confusion? And on top of that, how does this scene fit into the larger story of Great Expectations? I like to think about these scenes in context of the whole story, because when you think about it, Miss Havisham is a pretty important part of the story, and her influence keeps coming back throughout the novel as Pip gets older. So it would probably be a good thing to have a theme for her that is changeable, or something that we can rearrange, or that we can fit to sound sinister or to sound sad or to sound dramatic um, or to sound regretful to change how we hear her as Pip's opinion of her and experiences with her develop throughout the story. So once we decide on the mood for the scene, the next step is to pick music that works well with my voice. We have to think about my reading voice and the music as two parts of an ensemble. They have to work together cohesively. So this means that they need to sound good together, but still have an emphasis on the most important part, which in this case is the text. So we can't have any background music that has a melody that really stands out really prominently. And we can't have any instrumentation that will overshadow or clash with my voice. Once I had been taken to see some ghastly waxwork at the fair, representing I know not what impossible personage lying in state. Once I had been taken to one of our old marsh churches to see a skeleton in the ashes of a rich dress that had been dug out of a vault under the church pavement. Now, waxwork and skeletons seemed to have dark eyes that moved and looked at me. And then we also want something that will fit with the pace or the tempo of my reading, my cadence. So depending on your musical tastes, this might work. Once I had been taken to see some ghastly waxwork at the fair, representing I know not what impossible personage lying in state. Once I had been taken to one of our old marsh churches to see a skeleton in the ashes of a rich dress that had been dug out of a vault under the church pavement. Now, Waxwork and skeletons seem to have dark eyes that moved and looked at me. Or this one might work. Once I had been taken to see some ghastly waxwork at the fair, representing I know not what impossible personage lying in state. 
Once I had been taken to one of our old marsh churches to see a skeleton in the ashes of a rich dress that had been dug out of a vault under the church pavement. Now, waxwork and skeletons seemed to have dark eyes that moved and looked at me. At that point, it really is just a matter of your opinion and what you think works the best. Now we're going to take a look at a completely different way of scoring a scene. We're going to use a historical world building standpoint. So in order to do that, we have to do a little bit of research. Great Expectations, the book, was published in 1861. And it takes place in somewhat the beginning to mid-19th century. So that puts us, music-wise, in the early to mid, more early romantic time period. Great, you think. Let's just slap on some Chopin and call it a day. But hold on, just just wait a minute. Um... Chopin's really, really popular. So popular, in fact, that unless this story is about Chopin or Chopin's music really plays a prominent role as a plot device to move the story forward, using a Chopin piece might actually take people out of your story and out of the emotional context of what's going on. So let's just not use that one. Also, from a historical standpoint, this scene is at the very beginning of the book, so it's more of the early, early part of the 1800s. So we could probably think maybe Schubert or, um, or maybe late Beethoven, maybe something that's kind of on the cusp, like that transitionary period between the classical period and the romantic period. That might be a little bit more appropriate. And on top of that, Miss Havisham has been locked away and hasn't even seen the sun for over a decade. So she probably hasn't been listening to the latest hits coming out of Vienna at dinner parties. She's not going to dinner parties. So we can probably even go back a little bit earlier in time. So in theory, we really could just do what everybody else does and throw Lacrimosa on top of it. But again, we don't want to do that for a couple of reasons. The first one, obviously, is Mozart's Lacrimosa is insanely popular. So immediately, when someone hears that, your audience is taken right out of the scene. So they're not thinking, oh, I can just imagine how strange this must be for poor little Pip. Instead, they're thinking, oh, I know this piece. Where do I know this piece? Was it from Amadeus? Was it from Falcon and Winter Soldier? I don't know, but it is beautiful. I can't put my finger on it. See, you've lost them. You've lost your audience. They're out of the story. And it's really hard to get them back, especially thinking how the next scene right after this one is Pip playing cards. So it's it's difficult. Um, and the second reason that you don't want to use Lacrimosa for this particular scene is because it's a bit too grand and full with a large choir and an orchestra if you think about this scene, it's in the exposition part of the book. So it's just introducing the character of Miss Havisham. And it's between just two people in a large, empty room. It's a very intimate scene. You were really inside of Pip's head. This scene's job is just to set things up. There's no need to fill all of that intimate scene with a huge choir number. 
So if you insist on using this piece, if you just love it and have to use it in your project, then just save it for later when Miss Havisham sets herself on fire. That's totally appropriate. So at this point, I've narrowed down pretty much what it is that I want to do. I want to, I want to have some eeriness. I want to have some sadness. I want to have something that's a little bit unsettling. And I know I want music from probably the transition between classical and romantic period. So then I just start listening. I start narrowing in maybe on Schubert or other classical composers of that time period and honestly, I've been listening to a lot of female composers, so I found a piece that I really like by Hélène de Mongeroux, and it's actually Etude number 38. And these etudes were written sometime between 1788 and 1812 in Paris, so they're about the right time period where Miss Havisham may have possibly heard them in Paris at finishing school, or maybe she has heard them in um, balls or in parties that she had gone to, and the music has made its way up to England into high society. Um, and also, contextually, it's sad, it's haunting, it's intimate and romantic-sounding, and a big part of this is it has a melody that I could easily arrange and orchestrate up into different moods depending on the scene that I am needing for Miss Havisham. And I could orchestrate it pretty well for a climatic scene later on in the story. In an armchair, with an elbow resting on the table and her head leaning on that hand, sat the strangest lady I have ever seen, or shall ever see. She was dressed in rich materials, satins and lace and silks, all of white. Her shoes were white, and she had a long white veil dependent from her hair, and she had bridal flowers in her hair, but her hair was white. So the second choice I would choose is Schubert's Miller and the Brook. It was written in 1823, so it's kind of pushing it on the time frame, but it's still in the early romantic aesthetic, so I think we could probably get a good pass on that. And the biggest part about this is that it's a song that's obsessing over lost love and a broken heart. So it just fits with Miss Havisham's oh so well, like her character development. And it's meant to be sung, but I would just arrange that. So I would just play this as a piano piece or some very simple instrumentation or orchestration at the beginning. And then I would beef it up for the more climax sort of scenes later on in the story. In an armchair, with an elbow resting on the table and her head leaning on that hand, sat the strangest lady I have ever seen, or shall ever see. She was dressed in rich materials, satins and lace and silks, all of white. Her shoes were white, and she had a long white veil dependent from her hair, and she had bridal flowers in her hair, but her hair was white. But I saw that everything within my view which ought to be white had been white long ago and had lost its luster and was faded and yellow. I saw that the bride within the bridal dress had withered like the dress and like the flowers and had no brightness left but the brightness of her sunken eyes. I saw that the dress had been put upon the rounded figure of a young woman and that the figure upon it which now hung loose had shrunk to skin and bone. Once I had been taken to see some ghastly waxwork at the fair, representing I know not what impossible personage lying in state. 
Once I had been taken to one of our old marsh churches to see a skeleton in the ashes of a rich dress that had been dug out of a vault under the church pavement. Now, waxwork and skeletons seemed to have dark eyes that moved and looked at me. So there you go, two completely different approaches for scoring the same scene. So now you may have listened throughout this and thought, "Uh, I don't like that music. I would have picked something else. Totally fine. This is an art form. And so opinions and different styles are totally acceptable for this. This is just my way of approaching music. And this is how I would score this scene. And it's also worth noting that if I were working with a director, these most likely would not end up as the final tracks to this cue. Directors usually have some sort of idea of what they want and will often give you a temp track with songs that they like, and then you are to compose music that has the same feel as the temp tracks that they give you. So I would use this process as preparatory thoughts and kind of a backdrop as I fit the music to work within what the director wants. Or if the director is looking for some guidance and doesn't really know what they want to do, I would use these as a launching point to start the collaborative process. It's a really fun exercise. Even if you aren't picking music for a film or some sort of project, fitting your music into world building and storytelling is a really, really fun way to look at your repertoire in a different way. It expands your musicality, it explores your creativity, and it kind of makes you look at music differently. If you give your music a story or a human emotion, you connect with your music and with your audience in a way that you may not have expected. So enjoy. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. There has been a lot of music in our episode today, and most of what you've heard is random music cues that I've composed for different projects. And I'll put links to those projects in the show notes on our website so that you can go back and actually watch the scenes that this music was composed to match. But you also heard Chopin's Nocturne in C-sharp minor, Helene de Montjeroux's Etude Number no. 38, and Schubert's Miller and the Brook. I made recordings of those for this episode. And finally, you heard Lacrimosa by Mozart, recorded by Matthew Reed and licensed through Pond5.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss out on any future conversations. If there's a topic you'd like to discuss, or if you have any tips you want to share or episodes you want to hear, please come and chat with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send us an email at info at frostedlens.com. Thanks so much.